eight foot tall podcast listener taps the back of your favourite microphone up against the barroom wall and he looks at you crooked in the eye and he asks you, have you made your podcast? You just stare that big sucker right back in the eye and you remember what old Nick Marsh says at a time like that. Have you made your podcast, Nick? Yes, sir, the podcast is in the feed. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of River. I'm frantically nodded off stage here. Um of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we discuss films previously described by other not-quite-action heroes as masterpieces. I am Nick, the plucky, fast-talking comedy sidekick of the podcast, and I am joined, as ever, by Roger. Avoids racist comment. (laughs) We'll we'll come on to plenty of those later. We are returning to... um, I think it's fair to say podcast favourite, John Carpenter, Mm. um, with the um, possible masterpiece, 1986's Big Trouble in Little China. So, something of a box office failure? Um, It made like $11 million or something. It was released released during the advertising campaign for Aliens, which probably didn't help it much. I mean... If you're going to see one of these films, I'd recommend you see Aliens. But that's, that is no aspersions on Big Trouble, because Aliens is possibly one of my favourite films ever. Yeah, it also was was a bit rushed in the making, and we'll come back to that. But, yeah, so, an unhelpful synopsis. Um, Kurt Russell <laughs> is driving a truck. Yep. That, um, that covers it. Kurt Russell thinks he's an action hero. Um, he's not. Yeah, and he, he, um, ha- has a, has a friend in San Francisco's Chinatown who, uh, owes him some minor gambling debts and then it all gets complicated from there. And soon, soon enough he's dealing with an immortal demigod as you are. I mean, don't worry if you don't quite understand it. Jack never does either, and it, it doesn't seem to hold him back. Um, yeah, so we are knee deep in uh, Chinese mythology um, and uh, warring Chinese clans and the the evil demigod Lo Pan, who it turns out, well, he's possessed by uh, a demon or is a demon. I'm not quite sure whether he's possessed or not. I think he is. I, I, th- um, I think he comes by the evilness naturally. Yes, yeah, um, and the only way he can become substantial again to gain a material form uh, is by marrying a green-eyed woman, and, and, and then will satisfy her. the demon. Oh yeah, well yeah, <laughs> details, details, but and then sacrifice it to the demon, um, and that's uh, that's. The bulk of the plot, um, Jack is caught between these warring factions. His um, what one his of which friend... has stolen his truck? Uh, yeah, I mean he's in it for the truck, um, but um, uh, his friend Wang Chi is what's the name of their faction? Can't remember. Um, <laughs> Not sure. It really matters, but yeah, it does. I mean shenanigans ensue. Now this is um. Now, I always think of John Carpenter as a kind of, uh, he's sort of a, an easy to categorise director. You know what you're sort of getting with a John Carpenter film. But I have to say, you know, the more we look into his work, his body of work, the more varied his stuff. I mean, this is the, the director who gave us the thing. 
Hmm. Um, which is, I, I guess, more of the kind of classic John Carpenter, I would think, um, manly men against the odds, a la Assault on Precinct 13. Um, but, uh, well, I, ghost... I would argue that, uh, particularly when I saw, first saw Ghosts of Mars, I started to think, well, hang on a minute, this is not a guy who likes to repeat his effects. Mm. Well, that's that's it, really. I mean, this is the same director who gave us Ghosts of Mars, which uh, for which you may uh, consult our previous episode on the podcast, um, In the Mouth of Madness, um, for which you may also consult the previous podcast, um, Starman, which is kind of a, an E.T.-alike. Um, uh, it's very good. I've got a big soft spot for Starman, but I'm not sure it's a masterpiece. Um, and then this, which is sort of a... Uh, and, uh, of course, Escape from New York, uh, which is kind of a gritty... Um, much better than Running Man uh, style film. Um, and then this, which is... Um, yeah, this this, this a... is kind of like saying I, I have more arms than a slug, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, harsh. We, we were not huge fans of Running Man. I was very disappointed to go back to that. Um, yeah, this is... Um, and, you know, we, uh, you know, we were talking about in the Arnie films how Arnie is just Arnie. Uh, the nice thing here is that Kurt Russell is very different here as he is as Snake Plissken in Escape from New York. Uh, he's very different as he is in um, uh, The Thing. And he's he, he's he's kind of this brash, loudmouth action hero who is actually the worst action hero ever committed to celluloid, I think, in that he is utterly incompetent. And in a brilliant way. Most in a crucially, very likeable way. He never realises that he is the sidekick. <laughs> exactly. And now, I mean, the, this is a thing that, it, it's very obvious to us now. It was not particularly obvious to me when I first saw this, which was a few years after it was released. And I understand the studio never quite understood what was going on. But yeah, Kurt Russell is the scrappy sidekick. He's the comic <laughs> relief. That's right. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, in the climactic battle, um, knocks himself unconscious for the first um, ten minutes of it by shooting up into the roof. Um, he does have some very good lines, I have to say. Um, I had I I haven't seen this film for. I I had seen it originally, but I hadn't seen it for years. Probably not since the eighties. Certainly not the nineties. There's so many of his side uh, of his quips that I. I couldn't have told you before I watched it again, but um, somebody, I don't care who, tell me what the hell is going on, and it's all in the reflexes, and I only drive as fast as I can see. <laughs> they're all mm -hmm. quips that I had stayed in my brain that I'd utterly forgotten. It, the dialogue, I think, is, um, from him particularly, um, is wonderful. It's just, it's that, it, it's kind of like um, Arnie in Commando, whereas um, in Commando, his, um, his female lead kind of takes the piss out of his macho-ness, but he manages to take the piss out of his own macho-ness by being crap at it. Um, whereas all... What is nice here is, you know, we were talking about racism, um, and we can come on to that a bit, but what is nice here is all the um, Asian characters in this film are highly competent, for the most part. <laughs> Much more competent than, than Jack is. And this is basically everybody except... Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall. Yeah, so we which have is, the... I, I suspect, another thing. The studio may have suddenly said, "You know, where are the where are all the white guys on this set? What, what are you doing?" <laughs> yes, I suppose it's a similar dynamic in a way to um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where everyone else is um, uh, Indian, um, apart from Short Round, of course. Uh, but here, it's um, 
they actually know what they're doing, and they kind of they're being well, very polite. I, to I think you. the key thing is it's everybody. It's the good guys and the bad guys. That's right. It's not just they're not characterised as. Um, Yes, it's done much better than uh, Temple of Doom because here... Now, I don't know enough about Chinese mythology to know how that's treated. Maybe we'll come on to that. But um, I, I do feel the actual... The the characters, you know, we have Dennis Dunn as his, um, uh, as his best friend. We have... I mean, a, any 80s film where you needed someone who was Chinese, you would either have um, uh, Victor, Hong, Victor Wong or James Hong. And here we have both of them. And here we have both of them. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I looked at James Hong's filmography, and uh, he's uh, Lopan here, and he's basically, every time the studio decided they needed an actual Chinese guy, yeah, uh, Yeah. let's get James. Yeah, Uh, and if he was busy, then they got Victor Wong instead. (laughs) Um, So they are sort of heads, well, they're not quite heads, Victor Wong's the... um, uh, well, we have this interesting, this opening scene where um, we have a lawyer who's basically the only other white guy in it who I'd recognised as um, Deep Throat from the X-Files. Um, but he... Uh, uh, and, and he was added at the studio's insistence because they didn't get what was going on with Jack Burton and who he was. So that was that was there to, to um, kind of set things up. It does feel like a bit of an unnecessary framing device, to be honest. You could have started that film with Jack in his truck and it would have made as much sense because it doesn't really go much further. But it also introduces the fact that we are going to have magic in this film, so not be too surprised hmm. uh, when magic crops up. Um, and it's a, there's some lovely effects in here as well. I had, um, again, much like the um, much like the quips, I'd forgotten the... Uh, the demons and the uh, the special effects and the act. I I I mean I think it hangs together pretty well. The special effects. So yeah, and th- this is basically Carpenter saying, right, everything is going to be practical because you know there is CG, but it's damn, it's really expensive, um, and it doesn't look that great at this point. I mean, this was terminated two levels of CG, wasn't it, at this era? Yeah, which is basically it could do shiny, gloopy things, which is why the abyss was a thing, I guess. Um, and it's also way more expensive at this point than practical. Yeah, Hollywood has yes. a bunch of people who know practical and can do it. So he he basically I, I he basically says I, I'm I'm going to use every trick in the book, and and did. So you know, there, did, yeah. there's wire, there's reverse shooting, there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, I guess the plot such that it is. Uh, well, that's cruel. I mean, it's it's a good action movie plot. Is that Jack uh, on the way to? Um, Try and get the money back um, uh, from uh, from his friend Wang Chi. Um, ends up pursuing and it, right, literally just sitting in the middle of a, a fight between these two um, uh, two Chinese gangs, basically. Um, and then Lo Pan appears, um, who gets hit by the truck. But it's at this point he gets out of his truck. His truck gets stolen. But that opening fight. Uh, this is a clue to how the rest of the film will go. I mean, Jack. Jack Burton, as a character, does absolutely nothing <laughs> in the whole <laughs> fight. Um, they basically just cower in the cab and hope that it's over quickly. Um, yeah, there, there is a lot of Hong Kong action influence here at, at the time. Um, I, I think there, there were people who were fans of Hong Kong action, but they were you know, in, importing dubious tapes from the, from the US, and they were importing dubious tapes from China, and, and yeah... <laughs> 
Were you were you a fan? Because you are something of a fan. Of I, I I became one a, a bit later when uh, I, I, it became rather easy to get the things. Okay, fair enough. But I mean, this is definitely before. Um, oh, th- things like a better tomorrow that um, you know had some success outside yes. their native market. They came out the same year as this, so. Okay, okay, but here uh, this was probably a lot of people's introduction. It's fair to say, I mean, this became a. Much like it seems to be a lot of Carpenter's films go down this route. They're a kind of a commercial flop and then become a cult classic. And I suppose by cult classic, you mean not everyone loves it, but those people who love it really love it. I've never met anybody who disliked it. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but uh, yeah, uh, if you're I, yeah. if you're prepared to see a martial arts film in the first place, and and it's then not probably... it's and it's not a very technical martial arts film. It's much more along the supernatural lines. Then you know it's it's a good example of it. So, um, yeah. So it, it turns out Lopan has kidnapped um, uh, Margot. Uh, I think that's right. No, Margot is the uh, the other the other character in this film. The other uh, non Chinese character in hmm. this film who is a journalist. Um, they have kidnapped uh, Mao Yin. Um, uh, from a brothel. Who barely take... exists in this film. Yeah, I mean, the female characters get relatively short. I mean, um, Kim Cattrall, this is pre-Sex uh, in the City, though she was pretty famous. Was she in Top Gun as well, Kim Cattrall? I, I have to say no, I, I, I think she was Cattrall. shifting at this point. I mean, she, she'd, be, she'd done the standard, you know, you you are female and under 20, so you, you will play the sexy girl. Until yes, you're about 25, yeah. you know, she was in Porky's, she was in Police Academy, that kind of oh, thing. Oh, that's right, that's right. And, and the, this is where she was shifting to, I might actually get some things to do in the script rather than just look sexy. Yes, she doesn't get a ton to do in it, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but she is something of a foil to Jack. Yeah. Um, not much of one, to be fair. Um and so they, uh, uh, there's a lovely scene where Jack pretends to be um, a prospective customer in the Chinese uh, brothel. Uh, this has worked very well as we're running, uh, as I'm currently running a uh, Chinese, uh, the Chinese part of Masks of Nyarlathotep, um, the long-running Call of Cthulhu role-playing game campaign, and it's it's certainly given me some ideas for <laughs> how to play, um, how to play the end game of it. Um, yeah. So then we have, um, uh, they find out the the business where Lopan is supposed to be, and they infiltrate as uh, with the worst bluff possible that they just they just basically walk through the front uh, reception, um, saying they're telephone repairmen, and where's the telephones, and that's it. Then they're in the in the whole place, and there are captures, and there are escapes, and there are big fights, and and that's most of it. Really, it's confusing. Um, if you're Jack and it's confusing, I suppose you can just let it sort of wash over you. Really, um, there's some very, like, uh, there's but, it, some but it does fit together. I mean, the you you may not necessarily have a, have a solid big picture of what's going on, but it's certainly clear. You know, in this scene, this is what we're trying to do, and that leads to the next scene. And as a result of what we just did, we now have to try to do this, and so on. That yeah, that, that always fits together in a way that some films don't manage. Some films that we've watched, uh, uh, North by Northwest, I'm lucky at you really, which is, doesn't really make a lot of sense other than this cool scene, then this cool scene, then this cool scene. And there's some great, 
as you say, some great physical effects, some great physical comedy, like when Jack is strapped into his wheelchair. Um, it's quite visceral when he's tipping over into the... Uh, he, uh, he escaped from that. He, 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 he is still tied into his wheelchair, um, uh, and he uh, rockets down a, a sloping tunnel to be sort of teetering over this precipice. And I was on the edge of my seat. And the, the, the physical acting... Uh, and the physical effects are very well done, mm. I think. And so, in terms of production, uh, the original screenplay play was was a western. Okay, set in the eighteen eighties, the Wild West. Okay. Uh, well, not quite the Wild West, but yeah, more or less. And so. They they got in uh, W. D. Richter, who's known basically as a script doctor. Uh, Though he had also directed the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Never seen that. That was one that sank without trace, wasn't it? It's probably better than. Um... I feel positive about it. I haven't, I haven't rewatched it for a while, but I enjoyed it at the time. I filed it in my head under the Rocketeer, into in, uh, uh, as in films that I wish had done really well but didn't. Um... <laughs> um, yeah, and he, he was mostly a, 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 a the, the last writer to work on something after the others had uh, produced something unfilmable. Um, okay. then, then they, yeah. So the production was a bit of a rush job because as one of those coincidences that happened in films, uh, The Golden Child was also going into production. This is an Eddie Murphy comedy <laughs> Eddie in, Murphy in, in which he is the chosen one who has to save the uh, child, brackets Chinese, um, yeah, so another sort of Chinese mythology story um, with a, a comedy, uh, 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 which was actually offered to Carpenter to direct, but he but he wanted to do this one instead. Um, I write too. James Tong's in that one too, by the way. Of course he is. Well, they need Chinese people in it, so yeah. Um, but for that reason, there, there was a, a fair old pressure on the production schedule and. Um, I, I suspect the editing in particular got got cut down because that's usually where they say you know you can do it in three days rather than five or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean the Golden Child did pretty well, in fact, in the end. Made about ten I... times its budget. So that seems unfair. I mean, I barely remember the Golden Child. I remember enjoying it, but um... I remember at the time it, it was the the first uh, Eddie Murphy film. Which didn't get an R rating purely on the basis of language. <laughs> um, very, I mean, it's, it's got Charles Dance in it. Well, okay, so it can't mm. be that bad. This was the beginning of Eddie Morphy. Eddie Morphy. Uh, that's because he was morphing into a sort of family-friendly character instead of an R-rated, um, uh, raw swearing stand-up. Basically, yeah. Um... I like. I, I do like Trading Places actually, which is a similar. That must have been eighty three. Mm, that was the first one I saw. Oh yeah, Victor Wong's in it too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, oh, it, it was a reasonable success. Um, Charles Dance said basically it seemed interesting, and then it became an Eddie Murphy comedy, which you know, fair enough. Yeah. But uh, he, being Charles Dance, he put it more politely than that. <laughs> But oh, so eloquently. <laughs> um, so, so there was that, and as I say, the, the, this was um, box office failure. Carpenter left Hollywood as a result, um, 
And I suspect it was his that was last a... film, but it was his last. Oh, not at all. Then, was it? Um, yeah, and he he basically got got fed up with it and um, just went went off to do independent stuff for a bit. Um, Feels I don't know if he's underrated. I mean, a lot of people love John Carpenter. And he he brought out Prince under... of Darkness and They Live the next year, so you know. They live. I'd forgotten. They live. I mean, you have Rowdy Roddy Piper as your action hero mm-hmm. in the, Um I have never seen Prince of Darkness. I probably should remedy that because I must say I've always found something to like in every John Carpenter film I've seen. So. Yeah, I mean, we we will probably cover all of them eventually. They also they. I mean, there, there may be some exceptions, but basically all the ones I recognise of this list are ones that I could plausibly say, yeah, that's a significant film. He seems interested in the sort of things we're interested in, <laughs> yeah. if nothing else. Um, okay. All I right. mean, the, the the way I see it, if if it had been marketed differently, it could have brought on the whole Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon thing 14 years early. But, oh well. But it didn't. Yeah. And I, I just really Russell like it. have much star power? Yeah, I mean, I, think, I feel like we're already running out of steam because we both... Uh, it is a very hard film. Not to lie. I mean, Kurt Russell can carry a film, as we know. He can do it very well. He, uh, he is... I don't know. What I like about him is he, he kind of thinks he's James Bond or Indiana Jones, but mm. he's, just, he's just not. Um, and in the background, all the co-stars are doing all the useful work. Um, Particularly but Wang Chi. I mean, he, he's clearly the hero. The camera knows he's the hero. He's even got the hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's handsome, he's fast, he's quick, he quips as well. Um, but, but yeah, I, well, yeah, as you say, exactly the problem is for Kurt Russell, uh, for Jack, he doesn't realise he's the comedy sidekick. Um, but that's it's a nice and bit of misdirection. You, very you might deliberately think, done. Yeah, you, you might think that, a, that that's basically the film's joke and it drags it out, but it doesn't. It, it does not overstay its welcome. It is a perfectly good, honest action film as well. Well, that's right. It's fast moving. It's interesting to watch it in the light of the Arnie films because it's it's got a similar sort of sense of humour. But uh, I'd say some of the Arnie films are a bit um, uh, misanthropic in a way, and there's kind of a dark sense of humour, and they're a bit, um, or at least some of his action films are a bit um, uh, cruel in a way. Jack Burton just seems to enjoy life. He's never particularly resentful that he's the sidekick. He just he's constantly optimistic and constantly. Um, not quite happy, but he, he always thinks he's on top of the situation, even if he, if he isn't. And there's something quite refreshing about it. Um, and how, how many films have an insurance claim telephone call in them? <laughs> that is true, and a very funny one as well. He's mm-hmm. just all he cares about is his truck, and he's it's a, it's a nicely done uh, moment where he's he's constantly haranguing. Well, not constantly. He's he's haranguing his um. Uh, his insurance company. Um, it's good. It is a good film. Um, the visual effects are well done. Um, it, are there any problems with it? I did wonder, is the is it a bit of sort of cultural appropriation? I, I've gone back and forth on this mentally about, uh, you know, okay, we have... There's a problem to some extent, you know, we're dealing with um, Chinese people. There are, uh, And so... 
there's an element, could they be, oh, they're exotic, they're interesting, oh, they must have magic or something like that. Um, but I don't, I don't know. The, the where I end up is, I'm not sure it's any worse than any other kind of Western-based fantasy. Ma- I mean, if it's if it's racist, well, I'm not sure it's any more than Harry Potter in that sense. Well, it's not not a, not a very uh, high bar, but uh, <laughs> I, I think numbers matter here. I mean, I'm the 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 sort of lazy uh, screenwriting where you know you you have the band of heroes and one of them is the woman and that is her entire characterization because you know why would yes. you need to distinguish her anymore um can very easily say you know okay we we only had say one lesbian in the in this cast of characters and she is the villain therefore you know we we are at least hinting that that there might be a correlation here whereas here you know we we've got an entire cast of well, okay, they're not actually all uh, of Chinese ethnicity, but basically uh, Chinese-looking people, at least, and many of them are yes, yeah, I, Chinese-American. Uh, yes, um, yes. M- yeah, minus the three. And I can't even say the three principles, because Wang Shi is definitely up there in, in terms of the narrative. Uh, yes. And so I, I, I think what that does is, is to say, you know, okay, well, you know, this Chinese guy is a villainous sorcerer, and these Chinese guys are super-powered magical martial They're artists. Fighting them. But yeah. we're not, we're, you know, there are plenty of Chinese guys who are not that. Yeah, it's it's very similar to, I mean, it, in a way it's a shame that we have to have Jack sort of crowbarred in as, as the viewpoint character for a Western audience. But I, I'm never <laughs> going to complain about Jack being in a film. Um, and it's also very, you know, it's very deliberately done, I gather, that um, he is incompetent and all the Chinese characters know exactly what they're doing mm. um, and are much more um, uh, it's sort of like an inverse um, of Indiana Jones well I don't, I don't want to pick on Indiana Jones particularly but um, I'll tell you what it strikes me of an inverse of a bit is like romancing the stone where um, mm. uh, where the you know the white characters are more on top of it and they're more um, or at least the American characters um <laughs> Well, don't don't is... forget that uh, in in American racism terms, somebody Hispanic is not white. Well, that's what so. gave me pause actually, because it's actually got very little to do with their skin colour. But yeah, uh, the, in *Romancing the Stone*, I think it was a bit awkward that they really played up to this stereotype of corrupt. Um, anywhere in South America is corrupt. Mm. Um, whereas, as you say, Chinese, they're uh, they're heroes, they're shopkeepers, they're villains, they're just people living in Chinatown, um, just trying to get along. Um, it's also it it doesn't outstay its welcome. I always always very pleasing uh, for a film. It's genuinely funny mm-hmm. um, in a lot of uh, ways. Uh, I yeah I I don't I speaking from my position as a, a middle class white guy it doesn't seem especially racist or problematic to me in fact it seems to try harder than some films to not be I but, I have I have not heard of people complaining about representation in it I mean they they may have that I didn't hear about fair enough but it certainly hasn't been a, a hugely contentious thing so, so, let's see, yeah. there, there's been a sequel, nominally in development, since 2015. Nobody knows what's happening about that. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. Uh, there, did I vaguely, do I vaguely remember The Rock might be attached to it? Probably. I mean, he was attached to I everything think... in 2015, wasn't he? Uh, 
I mean, he might just have the charisma to pull it off. I suppose I'm worried. He can be quite self-deprecating, can't he? You need to have that kind of self-deprecating. Um, I'm not actually the hero here. He might, he might just about pull that off, if that was it. But it is a self-contained film. The story is finished. Jack mm-hmm. drives off. It's it's a film where I'm not really interested in a sequel. I, I wouldn't mind another story with Jack Burton in it, but blundering his way to a different um, culture. Uh, as I understand it, that that is the one thing you definitely won't get, um, at least in terms of what, what little has been said about the potential sequel. Yeah, they're not going to replace Kurt Russell. They're not going to have a new Jack Burton. They're just going to tell a story in that setting. Well, quite, okay. quite possibly with no characters in common at all, but yeah. As I say, it's been in dev since 2015, so who knows? <laughs> there was a board game. Uh, yes, I saw that. I've never played it. Have you tried it? Uh, I, I played a demo of it. E. All right, this is not a board gaming podcast. Um, <laughs> my board gaming podcast is on hiatus at the moment. But um, it's basically one of those things where you, you are building up dice and then rolling them all to have the big fight at the end, which I, okay. I find a bit frustrating, but many people like it. Uh, there's a legendary card game set as well oh really i've got they're interchangeable i've got um the alien sets um hmm. uh again it's not a board game podcast i will move aside from my <laughs> uh problems with legendary but if you could get past the uh some problems i think it's a solid game um, what, what i would say um about the film specifically is whether it was uh, limitations of effects, whether it was uh, to get a certificate or whatever else. I do find the fighting weirdly bloodless, given that people are getting killed and they're getting hit with swords and stuff like that. And I, I don't think I'm a gore hound, but I do think it would be reasonable to have a bit more blood flying about. Yeah, it's not... Or at least what, leaking what, through people's shirts and things. What was the rating? Was it 15, this film? I don't know. There's a bit of... Um... Inflation. I always find inflation very disturbing. I had nightmares about um, the end of Live and Let Die, where um, uh, is it Dr. Katanga gets inflated to death? But <laughs> I found it very disturbing. Um, so there's there's some of that goes in there. Um, but um, it, it, you're right. It's weirdly bloodless. But I no more, no less so than Star Wars, for instance, where everyone is cauterized to death and gets bits chopped off them. PG uh, thirteen. So. PG-13, I don't know if that was a thing in the UK back then. Um, uh, in the UK, it got a 15. Yeah, I, that's how I remember it. And it? There was a cut version that was PG, but I don't know how that was released. I'm still traumatised, actually, because I recently, I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, I recently watched Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom on Disney+, Plus. didn't realise that I'd spent my whole life watching the cut version, and uh, when I saw Mola Ram actually insert his hand into the thoracic cavity of someone, someone else, <laughs> uh, uh, that was a very disturbing moment for me. Also, Indy swears, um, which uh, seemed very out of character for me. But um, anyway, that's by the by. Um, uh is we like this film. Yeah, I, again, it's difficult when we really like a film. Uh, I, for me, it is uh, as often as I would say with John. It's not quite. It doesn't quite supplant the thing for me as my favourite John Carpenter film uh, because I love the thing. But uh, for me, this is a masterpiece. It's doing something very interesting. It is a it is a fine example of an action movie 
It's very well done. It's very quick. It should have done way better. It's mm. genuinely... I, for me, it's a perfect example of an action comedy. It's genuinely funny. It's genuinely action-y. <laughs> genuinely interesting. Yeah, uh, it, it starts off with the skeleton of the sort of Hong Kong action comedy you would get in, in that era. Uh, and then it adds... Well, it changes the setting, uh, but also adds the comedy on top of that... And the, the whole, the, the, the other ethnicity bunch going along as well. And it just does it very well for me. Um, the, the thing I always look for in a comedy, which is the comic characters don't know that they're comic characters. Yeah. You know, they, they, um, they don't stop to do a routine. They just the say a thing that the audience um, finds funny. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about, uh, who's my classic version of that would be Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam you know, is like, oh, mm. here's his shtick now, um, which doesn't work too well for me. I, we didn't hate the film, but I, I don't really like his shtick. But there isn't really a, um, as you say, there's no routine. It's, uh, he is the one, he's like the airplane characters who don't realise they're in a comic <laughs> comedy. Mm. Um, he, in fact, he's not in a comedy. What he doesn't realise, as you quite rightly point out, is he's the comedy sidekick and he never realises it the whole film. And he'll go into his next film not realising it either and still thinking he's, <laughs> he's James Bond. Um, I mean, it's not a deep film. It doesn't touch on uh, deep uh, parts of the human spirit. But then, you know, we watched... Um, oh, what was, the, what was the film about the maidservant in, um, uh, in Mexico um, during the time of the revolution? Um, Roma. Roma. There we go. I was close. Uh, but, you know, we watched Roma, and I'm not sure I feel greatly enlightened about the human condition. Similarly, The Dead. Uh, there, there are a lot of films that purport to tell you a lot about the human condition. Sometimes you just want to watch people hitting each other. <laughs> I, I would say, if, if you enjoy this, do do have a look at some of the, uh, particularly the pre-handover Hong Kong Okay. Uh, films. I, I should have thought about this and recommended some titles, but we'll probably come back to this genre at some point anyway. Well, the other Hollywood version of this that I have seen, or, or similar version of this, would be Rush Hour, which was, I guess, another attempt to translate uh, uh, Hong Kong action as a, as a sort of buddy comedy. I did greatly enjoy Rush Hour, I have to say, um, but there... Uh, the comedy sidekick kind of knows they're the comedy sidekick, and I think it works better here. Um, but very good. More, more please, John Carpenter, though I, I suppose he's completely retired now. We'll just have to watch all his other films he's ever made. Well, I mean, he wouldn't make this again anyway, because he's done that. He's always jumping around. Yeah, that's good. I, I think, you know, we just done a lot of Hitchcock films, I think. And I thought Hitchcock was one of my favourite directors. Maybe we picked the wrong three Hitchcock films, but he's gone down a bit in my estimation. We, we will Carpenter. go back at some point, but not just yet. I think we will. I think there's certainly some glaring omissions. Um, and not many directors have so many potential masterpieces under their belt. But John Carpenter, he's got a lot of actual masterpieces <laughs> that aren't really thought of as masterpieces. I think the least favourite one I've watched was... In the Mouth of Madness, um, it had some hmm. problems. Well, it it has some lovely moments, but yeah, yeah, yeah it, doesn't it doesn't quite hold like... together for me. Yes, yeah, fair enough. But uh, yeah, I think really all, all, all there is to say is you were not brought upon this world to get it. <laughs> it's all in the reflexes. Addendum.
we would like to formally thank Robert Wolf for the suggestion of Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.